This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. Forget dark alleys and cemeteries. For some, the gym is the scariest place of all. But it doesn't have to be. With a personalized plan and expert coaching, Anytime Fitness can help make the gym less frightening. Get more for your gym membership than machines. Get personalized support anytime, anywhere. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, and restrictions apply. See website for details. Today is Saturday, October 17th, 2020. On this day in 1931, 32-year-old gangster Al Capone was convicted of income tax evasion, finally ending his violent reign as public enemy number one. Welcome to Today in True Crime, a Spotify original from Parcast. Today we're covering the conviction of America's most notorious gangster, Al Capone. Unable to secure convictions for his more violent crimes, the government settled for nailing him for tax evasion. Now let's go back to a Cook County courthouse on the afternoon of October 17, 1931. It was just before 3 p.m. when the jury filed out of the courtroom to begin deliberations. All eyes were on the 32-year-old defendant, Al Capone, who faced several charges of tax evasion and conspiracy to violate the Prohibition Act. But the mobster gave little away as the 12-man jury exited. Far from worried, Capone seemed confident he'd escape punishment, just like he always did. Earlier, he boasted, the government can't collect legal taxes from illegal money. And it was illegal money. He and his lawyers seemed to have no problem admitting that. But how he acquired his wealth wasn't the focus of the 11-day trial. In their defense, Capone's lawyers argued that their client was a gambling addict who had lost some $300,000 over a number of years. It was an odd defense to put up, but might have been their only option because Al Capone was guilty of the charges against him. He'd never filed a single income tax return, but was worth tens of millions. And faced with those facts, his lawyers sought to mislead the jury, imploring them to pity a hopeless gambling addict. It didn't seem to fool anyone. Still, the jury deliberated for about eight hours and returned to the courtroom later that same evening. Silence fell over the courtroom as Judge James H. Wilkerson directed the clerk to read the verdict. As soon as the first guilty was announced, reporters raced from the room, heading for phones to call the news in to their editors. Meanwhile, Capone grinned as though he felt he had gotten off easily. According to the New York Times, the bulky man stood in his green suit, grinning at anyone who looked at him. Perhaps he smiled because he knew he could appeal the verdict, or because he anticipated a light sentence. 
But a month later, on November 24, 1931, Judge Wilkerson sentenced the mob boss to 11 years in federal prison and imposed fines and tax payments close to $300,000. It was the longest term ever imposed for tax evasion, which was possibly a reflection of Capone's notoriety. Capone wasn't used to losing so badly, except perhaps at the racetrack. So as he was led from the courtroom in handcuffs, he allegedly yelled, I'm not through fighting yet. But as Capone would learn, there are some fights you just can't win. Coming up, we look at the crimes of Al Capone and the winding road that led to his downfall. Listeners, who doesn't love a good ghost story? Rattling chains, mysteriously moving objects, unfinished business. I am ready for all things spooky, and so is ParCast Network. Starting October 1st, we're bringing you the scariest, most hair-raising ghost stories ever imagined. Every Thursday on the new original series, Haunted Places Ghost Stories, Alastair Murden summons a new spine-tingling tale of wraiths, phantoms, and chilling apparitions. These stories come from all over the world, including Japan, India, the UK, and even ancient Rome. Don't miss stone-cold classics like The Kit Bag by Algernon Blackwood, a sinister account of a condemned murderer's final wish, and the lengths he'd go to fulfill it. And The Miserere, a Spanish tale of a wandering musician who hears a terrifyingly beautiful song in a burned-out monastery and is doomed to capture its notes until he dies. You can find and follow Haunted Places Ghost Stories free on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget, October is our favorite month and one of our busiest. So make sure to search ParCast Network in the Spotify search bar to see all our new shows. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. Forget dark alleys and cemeteries. For some, the gym is the scariest place of all. But it doesn't have to be. With a personalized plan and expert coaching, Anytime Fitness can help make the gym less frightening. Get more for your gym membership than machines. Get personalized support anytime, anywhere. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, and restrictions apply. See website for details. Now, back to the story. On October 17, 1931, 32-year-old gangster Al Capone was convicted of tax evasion. It was the final nail in the coffin for Capone, who was eventually sentenced to 11 years in federal prison. And though the result was a win for the authorities, getting there hadn't been an easy journey. Until his tax conviction, Capone operated under an assumption of invulnerability. As leader of the notorious Chicago Outfit Crime Syndicate, Capone commanded vast resources in excess of a reported $100 million each year. In today's money, that's around $1.5 billion. And with that money came the ability to buy influence and favor with officials of every level. Capone even had Chicago's mayor, Big Bill Thompson, safely in his pocket, meaning he feared no repercussions for his racketeering, bootlegging, and gambling businesses. 
So great was his influence that his enforcers, an army of trigger men who took care of the violent aspects of Capone's business dealings, carried cards to hand to law enforcement. The cards were issued by the city and read, to the police department, you will extend the courtesies of this department to the bearer. They were, in effect, get-out-of-jail-free cards. Not that they were always needed. In addition to his money and influence, Capone was one of the country's most feared men. Past criminal charges against him, including murder, failed to stick because so many people were either on the take or too scared to testify against the man they called Scarface. But when U.S. President Herbert Hoover told his Treasury Secretary, quote, I want that man in jail, it signaled the end of Capone's reign. In the past, it proved difficult to pin charges against the mobster for his underworld activities, but they weren't the only laws he'd broken. By 1929, Capone himself was reportedly worth around $30 million, but had never filed an income tax return. Thanks to an earlier Supreme Court ruling, all income, even money earned from criminal activities, was subject to taxation. Proving Capone earned money would prove he was also a tax cheat. So with that in mind, investigators from the Treasury's Special Intelligence Unit set to work finding evidence to use against Capone. It was easy to see that Capone's wealth was massive, but it was less clear where his money came from. He didn't keep a bank account and never signed checks or receipts, making it almost impossible to trace his finances. But determined to get their man, the investigators got creative. They looked into the records of department stores, car dealerships, and hotels, and found evidence Capone spent huge sums on things like diamond-studded belt buckles, custom clothing, gold-plated dinnerware, and a Lincoln limousine. They were also able to link Capone to $39,000 in phone bills and an extravagant party to watch a boxing match. Along with the circumstantial evidence tying Capone to extraordinary wealth, raids unearthed incriminating ledgers that suggested he earned money from a gambling hall. Additionally, federal agents convinced several of Capone's associates to give testimonies against their boss. In 1931, as the walls closed in around Capone, he and his lawyer met with investigators to work out a deal. Facing charges of tax evasion, both sides agreed to a bargain. Capone would plead guilty to the charges and, in exchange, serve two and a half years behind bars. But in July of 1931, after Capone had appeared before federal judge James H. Wilkerson the previous month, the judge threw the deal out. In response, Capone withdrew his guilty plea and the criminal case moved forward. Before they even reached the courtroom, Capone tried once more to rig the system in his favor. He bribed members of the potential jury pool, somehow discovering their names before even the judge knew. When prosecutors were tipped off, they alerted Judge Wilkerson, who seemed unruffled by the news. 
On the day Capone's trial was set to begin, Wilkerson instructed his bailiff to escort the entire jury down the hall to a different courtroom, where they would switch places with the jury from another trial also beginning that day. Wilkerson was determined to show that Capone could cheat the system all he wanted, but it was he, the judge, who set the rules, and he could change them whenever he wanted. Capone was sunk. Following his guilty verdict and sentencing, Capone's appeals all failed. So he entered the U.S. penitentiary in Atlanta, Georgia. There, he bribed officials to allow him luxuries to make his stay more comfortable, including rugs, a typewriter, and a set of encyclopedias. But when authorities discovered his scam in 1934, he was moved to Alcatraz in San Francisco. There, the once fearsome mobster wasted away, unable to work the system as he'd done his entire adult life. Capone eventually admitted, it looks like Alcatraz has got me licked. Indeed, Capone's mental state deteriorated while he was a prisoner on the island penitentiary, but it was late-stage syphilis, not the prison's brutal conditions, that caused his declining health. And when Capone was released in November of 1939, his physician declared that the 40-year-old had the mentality of a 12-year-old child. Clearly unable to resume control of his criminal empire, Al Capone retreated to his luxury home on Palm Island in Florida, where he lived the remainder of his days with his wife and immediate family. It's often said that death and taxes are the two parts of modern life that come for us all. Taxes came for Al Capone in 1931, and in 1947, death followed proving that though he once enjoyed a godlike status in Chicago, he was only human after all. Thanks for listening to Today in True Crime. I'm Vanessa Richardson. If you enjoyed today's episode, you'll love our show, Kingpins, which charts the rise and fall of underworld leaders just like Al Capone. Today in True Crime is a Spotify original from Parcast. You can find more episodes of Today in True Crime and all other originals from Parcast for free on Spotify. We'll be back with a brand new episode tomorrow in True Crime. Today in True Crime was created by Max Cutler and is a Parcast Studios original. It is executive produced by Max Cutler, sound designed by Juan Borda, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Carly Madden, and Freddie Beckley. This episode of Today in True Crime was written by Joel Callen, with writing assistance by Abigail Cannon. I'm Vanessa Richardson. Remember to join Alastair Murden every Thursday for the all-new series, Haunted Places, Ghost Stories. Don't miss the most chilling spirits ever imagined by authors from around the world. Follow Haunted Places, Ghost Stories free on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts.